Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast. I am your host, Brian Castle, and with me, as always, is the amazing co-host, Chris Reardon. Chris is the Director of Development, and I'm the CEO and founder of Four Star Wealth Advisors. Our promise with this show is to share the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from so you can make money quickly and easily by investing. Each episode will detail the most important market updates and how best to benefit from them. And we will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting markets and other investment opportunities. So to maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com to download, quote, 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals, unquote. Trust us, this free gift will be your cheat sheet for reaching your financial goals in the shortest possible time. And to see all the best and most valuable moments from this episode, please go to Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, let's see what's happening in the financial markets. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Four Star Wealth Today's Market Explained podcast and video series. Uh, We have, uh, I call the home team uh, back with us today. We've got our own uh, great economists in the Reno office uh, of Universal Value and Four Star Wealth um, right in downtown Reno, which is the boomtown of America. Right now, we have uh, Bob Bob Barone, uh, Fed level economist. Uh, We've got Josh Barone as well, his partner and chief investment officer of Universal Value Advisors. So welcome, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. So um, we've been on a bunch of different discussions lately about what's going on in the economy. And Bob, your uh, pieces in Forbes have been pretty clear. Uh, We're we're in a recession. Uh, Inflation's slowing down a little bit, it it seems. Um, Do you want to just give us an update on what you see right now about the economy? I think everybody's very curious. Sure. Um, So as we sit here, we've experienced the worst six months in the equities market since 1970. Um, And that's after a a bear market rally in May. So uh, not not a really good equity market. In fact, in June, the equity market was down another 8%. And the reason is pretty clear. The incoming data are deteriorating. So for example, quarter one's GDP, which came out originally at minus 1.3%, is now at minus 1.6%. And as of Friday, um, that was uh, July 1st, um, the Atlanta Fed, this is one of the regional Federal Reserve Banks, they have a model that's been pretty accurate. And that model says that quarter two's GDP is going to be negative also at minus 2.1%. Mm-hmm. Um, the New York Fed's model uh, says there's an 80% chance of recession. Now, usually when these Fed models get above 50, that means it's pretty well baked in the cake. They're, they're pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. So a recession is really defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, but they meet only occasionally, and sometimes it takes them a pretty long time to determine the dates uh, that a recession begins and ends. In fact, sometimes they don't determine it until after it's over. Um, So the markets use a rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is 
if you have two quarters in a row of negative GDP, you're in a recession. And in fact, that 100% of the time that we've had two negative GDP quarters, we have had a recession in yes. the post-World War II period. So, so the incoming data is pretty bad. Um, we can get into it uh, later. Um, I would also say that uh, the media continues with this narrative on inflation, 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 and the Fed is looking at inflation and the employment, and these are lagging indicators. What they should be looking at is what we're looking at, which is commodity prices, and they're falling uh, rapidly. Uh, even the price of oil got under $100, uh, I think, yesterday. Yeah. Josh, you have anything to add? Yeah, I would add, again, we, we talk about recession. We're saying we're in a recession. We've been saying that for a little bit. Um, and you could say two quarters, but you could also look at it and say when uh, the forward earnings are starting to roll over, meaning they're starting to go down, uh, that's a significant sign of something. Um, that being said, uh, the depth of the recession is really um, going to be dependent on the price of oil um, because you had an oil shock recently with the Ukraine and and. and oil shocks tend to bring recessions on their own as well. So we were in a recession, going into recession, and then we have an oil shock on top of that. And so, I don't know, I paid uh, five, five, six bucks the other day for gas in my car, and uh, I think it was like 130 bucks, but um, think about oil is pretty much in every product out there, and so that should significantly yeah. slow down. So as oil stays high, and if it stays high, then I would say, and I think we're saying that the, the, the recession will get deeper and deeper. So while we're talking about recessions now, instead of inflation as a narrative kind of shifted two weeks ago, there's really no talk about how deep the recession is yet. And, and it's remained to be determined because again, as the data comes in, we'll know more. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I saw um, an exchange between some of the reporters and the White House spokesman that now oil oil prices have receded about 15% from the high, and yet gas prices are down only 3%. So um, that's a natural lag, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't seem like they immediately lower gas prices. There hasn't um, been a, a refinery built since the 70s. So you're talking about oil prices on the world market versus refined fuel prices. Um, there is a problem in, in this country um, based on there's no, just no refining capacity. And so that's part of the problem there. Um, but again, uh, some of the problem, you'll laugh at this, some of the problem is just that, that the baby boom generation has so much money that they've been chasing contracts in, in the commodities markets. You and I know both know that commodities have been the place to be this year. And again, when they see some place to make money, they tend to run in. And so I think some of the run up in, in commodity prices is speculation. I would say a lot mm -hmm. is actually. So if some of that speculation came out, we might see what the actual true demand levels are. Um, it, it remains to be seen. So I, naturally, you would think that oil prices would move back somewhat off the, the shock <laughs> level. Um, where, that, where they fall at this point is kind of everybody's guessing at it. Sure. Now, what about real estate prices? We just saw a galloping 
a galloping price surge in many, many markets. Even, even the secondary markets that weren't doing very well started to do really well. And then there was almost like a dead sound about a month ago where transactions collapsed, prices started to fade first time in a long time. Uh, you know, it's a scary time out there. What do you think could happen, you guys, to uh, Bob uh, or Josh, either one, to uh, real estate prices here? Is it is going to be a major collapse or it could be just a fading, a little fading? Well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we do know that um, the prices are starting to fade. There was a headline that I read recently that said something like builders are slashing prices to sell houses in quickly cooling markets. And that um, I think one of the statistics was that in Phoenix, 22% of the new listings uh, between early May and early June uh, had the price cut. So we're beginning to see some cracks in the housing market in the US. Um, and and uh, so I don't know if it's gonna be like 08, probably not uh, like 08 because we do have a housing shortage, but um, we're going to definitely see prices stop rising in, in the housing area. Besides that, what we're also seeing is that um, new homes um, aren't being aren't selling as fast. I think in Dallas, the inventory of houses under construction is twice the normal level, um, which means that uh, GDP is going to be impacted because new home construction is a big part of GDP. So um, I, I think that housing is going to cool. I can't say it's going to crash, but I think definitely it's going to cool. Yeah. Interesting. And I've, been, and I've been trying to figure out why so many economists are saying, well, we're maybe going to have a recession, but maybe not till next year and, and things like that. And the only thing I can figure is that they keep looking at employment numbers being a little stronger than they normally are as we enter into recession. That's like pandemic recovery situation. But, you know, I'm, I'm loath to figure that out. What do you guys think? Why are why are there economists out there still saying, well, maybe there won't be a recession? Well, the, the answer is pretty obvious. If you work for a big uh, uh, brokerage firm, uh, you'll never be fired by saying things are good. <laughs> okay. 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 So so they hesitate to, right. to, to say recession because of the client base. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and of course, we know the White House does that because they want to keep everybody happy. It's an election year. Uh, but uh, as, as you said, it's most likely here. Well, what what else are we seeing uh, out there that we should be concerned about? I know, Josh, you've done a lot of work on international uh, markets and looks like Europe is collapsing now as well. Is that right? So, Europe's fairly interesting because you have the ECB just announcing rate increases. So it seems like they're a little bit behind. But don't forget, I mean, they're so reliant on Russia for oil and gas that their inflation rates are, are through the roof. And so um, on the announcements, what I found really interesting on the announcement was that all of a sudden you got these splinter countries and, and their rates kind of blew out. So what, what what's that mean? So Italy and Greece, who are part of the EU monetary union, their rates, their 10 year rates were were going up significantly on that announcement, why Germany's were not. So 
the ECB came out and said, hey, look, we can't have splinter countries, splinter factions in, in our, our union. And so they, why they announced QT, they're essentially having to buy Italian and Greece bonds and then sell essentially German bonds. Now, from a credit quality standpoint, you don't really want to do that. But again, central banks don't care about credit quality. They just, they're, they're essentially in a rate management, curve management situation. Um, you know, with I think the other thing that's interesting in Ger- is that Germany came out and had really bad GDP prints, and and so the whole it looks like the whole area is, is slowing down massively. Um, when we talk about these things, we're essentially looking for some kind of liquidity break um, because uh, essentially a, a liquidity break will cause the Fed, our Fed, to move in the opposite direction than where it is now, which is extremely hawkish. And so I think in, in every time the, the Fed put has been in place, there have been a, a liquidity problem, and that's what's really caused that action. So again, as we're Fed watchers and we're looking to see what they do, we're very, very interested in liquidity lockups here and where, where they occur and whether they cause the Fed to change its stance. So the Fed said they're going to keep raising interest rates, but it looks like the market's predicting that they're not. Is that, is that what you're getting? Yeah, so um, beginning about a week and a half ago, um, the bond market, which is always the first one to see things, um, changed its mind about inflation and, and uh, bond uh, yields began to fall. I think we had uh, bond yields go from the 10 year go from like near three and a half percent to now like a 2.9% in a two week period, that's that's big time. Big. And it means that the, that the bond market doesn't see the Fed completing its forward guidance. What is forward guidance? Forward guidance is that thing called the dot plot, which is a plot of where each uh, committee member sees interest rates going over the next six months, year, two years. Okay, and, and so they show these dots and and they've showed the dots since 2012. Um, by the way, the correlation between the dots and what actually happens is under 40%. So it's not a very good predictor. Uh, anyway, th- to get back to the story, the, the bond market has seen uh, that, um, that the Fed probably isn't going to fully enact its forward guidance. Now, we won't really know until we see the next set of dot plots. Which, which only occurs uh, every quarter. So the next one will be in September at the, uh, I think the, the meeting is uh, mid-September. So after that meeting, we will see the new dot plot. I suspect it will be lower, okay? Um, now the Fed minutes came out today and were very hawkish, but don't forget those minutes were from a meeting that occurred about what? Uh, two, three weeks ago, and since yeah. we've had a lot of negative uh, news, uh, especially um, especially news around uh, what is going to happen to um, uh, inflation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, and Fed is very hawkish because inflation is high, and we're probably going to see another high number for June when it comes out. I think uh, next week, early next week. Um, I, I suspect it won't be as high as May, but it'll still be too high. 
But beginning in July, I think we're going to see big down spikes in inflation. Uh, and why do I say that? Well, all of the commodity prices have been falling. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, I had some somewhere. Uh, wheat is down like 30%. Copper is down like 50%. And even gasoline is down 15%. Yeah. Uh, now, as Josh mentioned, gasoline is an issue because uh, refining capacity isn't there. And refining capacity isn't there because the refiners have to make an investment in, the, in refining and to build one of those is a fortune. And right. they need 20 or 30 years of business to pay for it. And they don't quite see 20 to 30 years of rising gasoline demand because of the move to electric vehicles. Right. So it's, so it's, a, it's a current issue. There's not enough... Um, there's not enough capacity. So gasoline is likely to, to remain elevated. But the rest of the stuff is falling and consumers are changing their habits. They're not buying as much food, even at the grocery stores. They're not going out to dine as much. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not staying at hotels. Uh, now, when I say they're not, these are marginal changes to the downside that we're just seeing now. So consumers slowing down, businesses slowing down, we're in a recession. So what are the opportunities from an investment standpoint that you guys see right now? Uh, e either of you chime in, offer your thoughts on that. Let me ask you a question. So what was the best position to be in from the beginning of the year, hindsight being 2020? And some people will say commodities oil, but short the NASDAQ was the best position. So that was Highest return, short than that. Yeah. yeah. So, will will these kind of short trends in the market continue? Yeah. The the when we look at it, so you could say that the PE ratios are coming into some kind of uh, normalcy here, but you're just seeing the earnings roll over. So, you know, the earnings, corporate earnings have been strong for ten years, and, and they were and, and they're peaking right now. They're the best they've ever been which is good for corporate balance sheets. Um, but however, they're just rolling over now. So you're starting to see inventory issues. Um, I think everybody saw the target inventory. I think they have $15 billion worth of, of inventory. Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon, Nike, to name a few. They're all citing over, over overages in their inventory. Uh, what else is funny is that the LA port just noted that it had the third best record um, uh, delivery of goods through the port in history. So not only are they over inventoried, they have more inventory coming. And so that's very, for things that you want, that's, that's deflationary. So things that you want, if you want a new TV, you wait a couple weeks, right? Or a couple months, and you should be able to get that TV at a, a pretty steep discount as they're trying to move inventory. It seems that way that even the retailers are talking about that. There's yeah. Be so sales this summer. They couldn't have planned. They couldn't have planned this, and took so long to get the inventory that they weren't prepared for it when it finally came. So you're going to get a, essentially a purchase manager strike. So you're starting to see the PMI numbers roll down here and in China. Don't forget, we buy mainly Chinese goods now, and so you're starting to see them not purchase. And so they'll have too much inventory. They'll discount, and then we'll go back to this idea that they don't have enough again because they essentially went on strike. 
Um, so I wouldn't think that you'd want to be long retail here as it bounce around in, with volatility in terms of and the consumer in this market is getting very, very tapped. Um, credit card usage is way up and and, and uh, overall debt is high. You can't refinance your house now because uh, that that credit card has been kind of taken away as interest rates are now um, above 5% for 30 year mortgages. So what is a consumer to do? Well, there's a couple things they can do, and one of them is not spend. And so that that's looking like to be one of the bigger areas of problem. But from an equity market standpoint, you know, there'll be a point when the Fed capitulates and that'll be a time to get back in and you'll want to put risk assets on as you know, don't forget the markets are discounting mechanisms. So they're looking typically six to uh, five, a year to five years forward. And so there'll be a point before the, the recession bottoms here where you want to put risk assets on. Now, I don't know exactly when that is, but I don't think anybody's talking about how deep this recession is going to be. And until we know that and see how, 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 how much earnings do they power do they lose, these corporations, will we know the depth of that recession? And, and so I would park on the sidelines in terms of equities. Now, bonds are a different animal, and I let Bob talk about bonds. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about bonds. It's been the worst bond market ever in American history, uh, the year to date. So uh, you guys are bond managers and you've, I'm sure you felt the pain. So what, what, uh, what's the prognosis? So this, this is a dangerous, most dangerous four words for an economist to say, this time is different. Oh, yes. And I'm going to say that this time is different when it comes to the Fed and to bonds, because... One, the Fed has never, ever tightened into a recession. They usually loosen. Um, Two, this time is different because in the past, the Fed, when when there was a recession coming, the Fed never, ever talked about what they were going to do. So in the Greenspan era, I remember uh, the the street looking, how thick is Allen's Briefcase. If it's thick, it means they're going to do something or other. Okay. Yes. They never talked. So this time they're all talking, and and this time we have the quote forward guidance, the dot plot. We never had that before. Um, so um, so what happened was when the Fed decided to tighten back in January, February, March, uh, and they they issued the dot plot. What the market did was tighten to the extreme end of the dot plot all at once. So what the Fed said they were going to do in two years, the market did in 30 days. And so wow. that's that's why we got to a 10-year uh, note yield of 3.5%, because that's where the Fed said they were taking interest rates. Um, so uh, as Jai said, well, when, when do we know when when to put money back into risk assets? The answer has always been when the Fed changes policy. Well, what exactly does that mean? Do they have to get loose again? And the answer to that is no. It's when they tweak it. So it's in mathematical terms, it's called the second change or the derivative. Okay. So it's it's so here's an example. If at the July meeting, where they're expected to go 75 basis points, they only go 50 because 
Now some of some of their 400 economists see what we see, and that is a slowing economy and, and trouble ahead. And they only go 50. The market was expecting 75. That will be a signal to the stock market that um, and to the bond market that they're going to start to ease as the recession comes. And that's the signal to get in. Interesting. So um, this, so the stock market could continue to correct, and then we'll get some signals when the Fed changes. So maybe the Fed can't raise interest rates at all anymore. I mean, you know, they, they're saying 75 basis points in July, but you know, maybe they don't do anything. Or do you think they're scared enough with what they've created? So you hear a lot about inflation and stagflation, and this is important to, to your question here. So um, stagflation is essentially inflation and a recession occurring, and then 70s stagflation had high unemployment as well. Right. So the beauty of where they are now is the employment is the lowest, I think, in, in histories. I think you have to go way, way back to, to find a lower uh, unemployment rate. They have the ability to raise into that and allow um, that 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 percent to increase. So unemployment can increase two or three percent, four percent, and still be extremely low for this this country. And so they do have that ability. So if you were going to ask me if they have the ability to raise interest rates, I would say yes, they have a lot of ability to raise interest rates here. And in fact, I would think they would probably overshoot it. Um, because yeah. they're, they're so worried about entrenched inflation, and especially in the labor market, that they're willing to slow everything down to make sure of that that animal does not exist. Now, when we look at the markets, we don't really see entrenched inflation. We see a lot of supply side inflation, a little, and, and some energy and food inflation. As again, there's been a supply shock in the form of Russia invading Ukraine. Right now. I saw a thing from Jeffrey uh, Rosenberg basically saying that if they did nothing from this point, the supply side would essentially fix it and bring inflation back to 2%. Um, do I believe that? Yeah, again, we, we think that essentially that inflation is transitory, except the Fed could not stay on, on that on target because the media and, and the political bodies would not allow them to do that because of fear of entrenched inflation. Bob, you want to? add some well so uh, I, you're right so we have uh, um, inflation as a big the biggest issue in the country um, problem is is the Fed is looking at the backward uh, data they're looking at the employment uh, unemployment right. rate and they're looking um, at the CPI both of these are lagging indicators they should as I said at the beginning of this, they should be looking at the leading indicators. They should be looking at the fact that the markets see all of the commodity prices in backwardation. What that means is the markets see commodity prices down in the future, all of them. Um, and and that what they should be looking at is house house or women going back into the labor force. Um, and we're going to see. Um, and we see that in the early stages where um, um, we're seeing um, spending on um, health care for old folks going up, putting old folks into nursing homes so they can go back to work. Those kinds of uh, early indicators are that women are coming back to the labor force after staying home during the COVID. 
So we're going to see uh, the unemployment rate rise probably into the 4% range from 3.6 where it is now. Okay. So, so if inflation is transitory, although not as quick as, as the politicians said it would be transitory, uh, that would mean that if all these supply chain issues and other things are solved that were caused by the pandemic, then eventually um, it will go right back down. It's not, it's firm, you know, kind of baked in inflation that can't come down. It will come down, right? And it's really just a functional factor as to why they were created, it was created that way. So, uh, you know, one thing you have to look at is that COVID created a behavioral shift in, in, in consuming. You add right. the fact that the government was hand giving out hand money left and right, you kind of created a, a consumer boom there. And again, right. the, the behavioral effect was from from um, brick and mortar to on 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 site retail web web purchases, right? Right. right. Mainly the web goods come from China, so you had this massive amount of goods trying to go through our ports um, during that period of time, and the ports got closed. Now, as we shift and go back to brick and mortar a little bit, as there's that behavioral, now it won't completely shift back, but some of it will. And that that should solve some of the ports um, problems, issues there. That's supply side. Uh, there's, there's a funny economic saying, and you've heard me say this before, Brian, but what's the cure for higher prices? And the answer to that is higher prices. Higher. Right. And so, again, you're seeing that too. So as inflation kicked up, the higher prices have now entrenched some spending. And so people just aren't, when I look at it, even the 4th of July this weekend seemed a much, much quieter than it had in, in past years as what I believe is people just stayed home and barbecued in the backyard versus taking a trip where, you know, it was gonna cost them $500 in, in, in petrol. So um, you're, you're seeing a lot of entrenchment in, in that term. In, in terms of purchases, that helps the supply side too. So as that occurs, and again, there's ports expansions and everything else going on, so that when we go back, as we keep on buying more and more stuff on the internet, um, they're able to handle it. Again, supply chains take time to fix. It's not something that you can fix overnight. The problem with uh, our society is that patience isn't, doesn't exist. Patience is waiting two seconds for that tweet to, to hit your, your box and then the truth comes out. But in reality, you know, transitory is, you know, call it a year and a half. And if we go back, it's kind of where we're at. And, and, and it seems to be, you know, why the Fed has changed course on the language uh, seems to be where um, things have, have been. So, you know, it takes 15, 16 months for this stuff to work itself through. We're about halfway through that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of weird things that have happened to this economy because of the pandemic and COVID and everything else. And so, of course, naturally, that was the that was the uh, event that was blamed for all this by certain people. Um, but one thing that's definitely true is uh, the labor force participation rate is at all time lows. And that just means people are not in the workforce. They haven't raised their hand in the proverbial. Yeah, I need a job and I can't find one. So um, have we just developed bad habits in our country where People decided I like sitting at home and I'm just going to stay here. Uh, you know, we have labor shortages everywhere, low unemployment, yet, yet people aren't working. Well, you- so let's talk about the labor shortages. Yeah. <clears throat> so <clears throat> just like everything else, um, when you hear about labor shortages, if you're a business owner, 
you hang on to your employees mm-hmm. and maybe you try to hire some more. So that's what we've seen. We've seen what I call labor hoarding and um, it's and and um, and over hiring and it, it, it results in a um, um, a, a productivity number that's a negative. So we've seen the largest negative productivity number in last quarter at minus seven and a half percent. That's the highest since right. I think 1947. Okay, we haven't seen a number like that. What it means is exactly what I said: labor hoarding and overhiring. Mm-hmm. Well, you know when when the corporations see that they're not making as much money which we're going to start to see this quarter, they're going to start laying off. Yes, right. And we're going to see the unemployment rate go up. Okay. So then so, it'll normalize to what? The business. Sorry, to add to that, structurally, this country is is has a, a, a populace that's on the older side. So somewhat like Japan, where you know, the populace is getting – is older and kind of dropping off that workforce, but they ha- they're in need of services. Again, I think we talked about medical services being a big kind of area that, that is in need. In fact, I know nurses, nurses are in short supply right now as well. Um, the, the, the lack of immigration policy in this country is, is somewhat problematic. Um, that uh, essentially we're not bringing in as many immigrants as that, we, that we'll need to keep our labor pool um, large, and I'm not talking about poor immigrants. I'm talking about high-skilled people too, um, mm-hmm. especially computer engineers, that kind of thing. So, without a clear immigration policy, and, and the, there's just no way to combat that. And so, we do have this this dichotomy of this this generation that's really large coming through, and the services. So, structurally, you're going to have low unemployment. Um, that being said. Um, some of those resources will ease up as as some of these things play out. Um, but again, without you know oil, without good oil policy and good immigration policy, um, we're kind of in a conundrum. It, it really seems like a mess. And now we're seeing you know we're going to see over two million people um, coming through the border. And now now there's talk that the the fourth quarter, third quarter will be even more than that. Um, can that have any implications for our labor market? I mean, these people are generally unskilled, as you said, they're not really the right people for the job market, but will that change much? Do you guys think? I, I think in the construction industry, I mean, I've been, I'm acutely aware cause I'm doing things to my house, but there's <laughs> been, when, when I talk to the contractors, Essentially, there's no labor. They can't get anybody skilled or non-skilled. So they're willing to accept lower skilled people just to put a body on a job so that they can keep their clientele happy. Right. Um, maybe as that slows down is, again, the inflation pressures there are, are immense in terms right. of gas and, and uh, goods um, that when that some of that labor pressure will ease. I mean, that's what we can hope for now with the change um, in, in the immigration policy from the Supreme Court. Will that bring in low, low skilled workers? Yes. But don't forget the, the, the administration put a thing that if you take $400 out of your account, you have to tell them why. And mm-hmm. so as there, and as we go more and more to digital currency and, and the less of that under market in terms of uh, 
cash for labor goes away, I, I just don't see it really putting a huge dent into into the markets, um, labor markets in, in that fashion because of that. And there's going to be a lot of battles over who's legal and who's not legal and who has a green card. And, who, and so those but those people will be a problem for the country, but it probably won't show up in the economy. Correct. I think yeah. in I think in Europe, if, if you look at uh, when a, a country reports GDP in Europe, they actually account for the black market. And so I don't know if that'll happen here, but essentially they say, hey, this is how much ac economic activity was in the black market. And they include that in their GDP reports, which is kind of funny. I don't know how they figure that out, but um, they do do that. That's funny. Well, yeah, we haven't done that here yet. Well, so we had the worst stock market uh, to begin since 1970. We've had the worst bond market in a long time. We're seeing real estate rollover. Um, you know, now, uh, you know, the, the anti, the opposite number would normally have been real estate. That's fading. Uh, now we've got gold really not doing much. We've got silver kind of fading. And uh, Bitcoin, which was supposed to save everything, is now about 20,000 a unit down from 60,000 a unit. Um, what do you think about all that? I mean, is there anywhere to hide from these rough markets and other opportunities there? Well, the fact that gold and silver are falling in price <clears throat> indicates that the, the market doesn't see inflation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I think I, I, I noted that the inflation expectations are uh, on the downside now um, as you go forward. So um, in terms of Bitcoin, I would say it's, it's definitely something that looks like it's blowing up, um, but I, they have regulation problems in 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 terms of uh, a spot Bitcoin ETF. I, I can't understand why they're holding that up, but I did hear that it didn't get approved today for some reason. But as as I look at the Bitcoin market, as it's more accepted in, in futures contracts and all this other stuff, it will become more stable. But you're in a market. And I'm not going to go to the underlying fundamentals of what it actually is, but you're in a market that's, you know, in maybe the first half inning of what it might become. Now, the tech, I'm not talking about the coins themselves, but the tech, the blockchain tech um, has a lot of uses uh, going forward. Now, will it come out in the current form? Um, I, I think that the, that form will change, but um, and maybe the coins themselves maybe fade away, but um, you can't deny that the blockchain technology is real and has practical uses in, in, in the future. Yeah, so it is interesting, but it just seems like nothing's working here. And I think you're right. That's the signal. Inflation is probably going to fade and it is probably transitory. Um, wow. So we've covered a lot here, you guys. I mean, what what else? Uh, what, what else should we be considering here? I mean, in this very, very strange kind of uh, unforced error economy, if we can call it that. So I, I would say that all of the uh, leading indicators are, are telling us that the recession's really going to be deeper than anybody expects today. Um, for example, uh, the University of Michigan has published a consumer sentiment survey since the late 1940s. And they have a they have an aggregate number that they put out. The aggregate number is the lowest today in history, lower than any and that preceded any other recession. So oh, wow. that tells you that the consumers are very concerned 
about what's going on, about the inflation. Now, one of the things I will say is that most consumers today didn't live in the 1970s, or if they did, they weren't old enough uh, to to remember inflation. And so this inflation is a shock. I mean, when you go to the grocery store or you, you you go in out to a restaurant, the prices aren't up 8%. The prices are up a lot more than 8%. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the CPI is probably on the low side. And consumers recognize this. So what they're telling us is, we're not gonna buy cars, okay? We're, we're, we're not gonna buy big ticket items like appliances, and we're not gonna buy houses. And those are leading indicators, and they've always been leading indicators. Unfortunately, the Fed is watching the lagging indicators. So that means when they act, they'll be too late to stop the recession, uh, which we think is already here. So it is already already too late. Yeah. But um, so that's where we see it. But when the Fed, as I said before, when the Fed changes policy, that's when the markets will turn. That's when they've historically always turned in the post-World War II era. So, so... Let me add this. Let me add this. So the other thing that that people I I hear out there that the Fed is has uh, I've lost confidence in Fed. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, You know, they said inflation is transitory. Obviously, it's not. And 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 so there's no confidence in the Fed. And I would say it's quite the opposite. There's so much confidence in the Fed that the Fed didn't do anything. They just essentially put some dots on a piece of paper and the markets moved interest rates, the the, the biggest move in history. And and that's why you're seeing the bond markets, um, you know, kind of where they are in terms of performance. But what we're not talking about is that fact that that interest rate move is so large. It's it's. it's like driving a Maserati 100 miles an hour into into a wall. They moved interest rates so fast that that that's kind of what we're seeing, and that's and, and you're seeing that starting to show up in the data, and that's why we're seeing, hey, this is the biggest number in 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 history um, in terms of of uh, consumer confidence. But there's other things that are like that as well, and and it, it is because of the overconfidence in the Fed in terms of their forward guidance and and what's that what that has done to the interest rate markets. I mean, if just look at the, uh, if you're lay, just look at the interest rates uh, in in the 30 year mortgage. They're up. Three percent um, in yeah. six months. That's that's not a small percentage, and and, and when this stuff used to happen, um, bef- you know, before Bernanke, they they would inch up, and the market didn't know exactly where they were going, and so they would just inch it up, right? And they're mm-hmm. trying they're trying to use that same policy, but again, with their their speak, their speak is so powerful now. They have so much credibility that they've been able to do this. And so the slowdown that that is, isn't a normal type of slowdown is going to be very rapid and very extreme. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we'll see how it plays out. We hope uh, we hope for the best. We hope for a mild recession. If we get a bad one, that'll create opportunities. And uh, we'll see what it looks like on the other side, you guys. Uh, anything else you want to share with us before we end it for today? And the other side's going to be in, in uh, 2023. 2023. Okay. So let's look for opportunities then. Maybe the markets will bottom in the fall. Kind of will start growing. We'll see, right? So, all right. Well, great, guys. Well, thank you for again for being with us. And we'll check in with you and, you know, maybe in the fall again. 
here and see what see what uh, what you think then. And uh, you know, if it's played out as the way we thought it might, and uh, really appreciate you being here, and uh, appreciate you being part of our group with Four Star. Appreciate that very much. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns with the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download our free guide on the 65 investment terms you must know to crush your financial goals. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone you think will also find value and benefit from this. And please follow Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see all the short video clips covering the most valuable moments from today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't wait to tell you everything we're seeing in the financial investment markets. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for the general uh, public and general information purposes only. The information is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and investors should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC-registered investment advisor, maintains a principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's notice filed or qualifies for a corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's Form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.